Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you for once again joining us for what is going to be another great podcast. For those of you who don't know me, my name is W.J. Sheehan, and I'm the author of a series of books that bears the same name as our podcast. And those books are available at Amazon.com. You could also get audio books. I have volume two through six And one is in the works for approval right now, and those are available at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon.com. So please, show a little support for our show and what we're doing, and go out and get yourself a copy. And now, may I introduce my brother and co-host, Kevin Sheehan. How are you, Kev? I'm good. How about you, Bill? Fantastic. We have a little warm spell going on here in the Northeast, and considering it's January, I'll take any warm spell I can get. (laughs) Yeah, we had a warm day, too, down here in North Carolina, but we're supposed to have some crushing storms on the way. Hopefully, uh, they don't get here while we're recording. (laughs) Wow. Now, you... uh uh, you're talking coming from south to north? Yeah, there's like a big band uh, that's running, I guess, from the southwest to the northeast. Um, but it hit Alabama earlier today and put in a bunch of, or several tornadoes in that. Yeah, so uh, I have to tell you this, Kev. Of course, you have no knowledge of what I'm about to say. I went to contact one of my Bigfoot buddies in Alabama ah. about about two and a half hours ago. And he texted me, I can't talk right now, we're having severe weather. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I was watching it on the Weather Channel, so. Wow. All right, well, so I understand you have some uh, crazy happenings going on in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment today. That is right. Today, Bill, we're going to talk about Bigfoot, of course, or not of course. We talk about other things, I guess. But tonight we're going to talk about Bigfoot, and we're going to talk about him in the state of Maine. So up in the northeasternmost part of the United States. Yeah, I have a lot of accounts that come through out of that neck of the woods. And you know what? We've spoken before. I think like 90 or 95 percent of the state of Maine is uninhabited, and it also represents a larger landmass than all of other all the other states in New England combined. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, and a beautiful state as well. Fantastic, but a very rural place. You know, I wonder if uh, since it's so beautiful, I wonder if we could run across a Bigfoot with an easel and a paintbrush somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> the little Bob Ross Bigfoot. 
Yeah, just a paint little happy your... tree. <laughs> <laughs> just penciled in your little Bigfoot over here eating a hiker. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna start out with some uh, facts that came out of an article in the Bangor Maine News in 2016. So not too long ago. But uh, they wrote a nice little article that covered uh, some of the sightings through the years. And uh, we'll go from there to some other sources of information. So we start out with this sighting in 1895, so a long time ago. Yeah. In a, in a place called South Gardner, Maine. And uh, a correspondent to the Boston Globe at that time Road of people near the outskirts of town startled by unearthly shrieks. Two women and three boys were picking blueberries, and they had come upon, get this, a hairy monster that walked upright on its hind legs like a man. The animal looked like a, quote, immense African monkey. Wow. Is that unbelievable or what? 1895. Yeah, and you know, the thing is, as we all know, well, as you and I know, and many of our listeners, we didn't have access to this newspaper or any newspaper's articles back then to even have a shot at reading an article like this. No, and this is the Boston Globe, which I would think in 1895 was one of the biggest papers in the country. Yeah, but I mean, who who got it? Who was getting a copy of that at oh, that no. point? Oh, yeah, no, I mean, you had to be in the heart of the city, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So these things have been being talked about for way longer than people can imagine. I mean, even prior to newspapers, word of mouth would have would suffice to, you know, spread a story around town if you ran across something. Yep. Ah, that's interesting. And then there's a, there's an account from the early 1900s, not a specific date, that talks about a woman's story of her father encountering a strange creature while logging up in Maine. And it says, while driving to camp, a large hairy man ran out of the woods and darted across the road, causing him to slam on his truck's brakes. Joined by fellow lumberjacks, they searched for the strange creature, but never saw it again. Yeah, that's really, really odd, you know. And how many times, I mean, I know I have at least two accounts of people involved in the lumber industry running across this. Of course, they're out in the woods. Uh, many times they're in tracts of land uh, that were uh, sold. How about that logger's tail we were talking about? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, these guys were taking this beat-up pickup truck out into the woods, a small crew of guys. They're in no man's land, basically clearing a track for a paper company. And, uh, of course, they encounter a Bigfoot. You know, they're out there. You come walking in with your chainsaws. What are you doing here? No, it's like a classic setting, too, right? You know, where, you know, if this these Bigfoot are like an intelligent creature, they would be interested in loggers, you know, that are completely disrupting their environment. Yeah, and we don't know why. Maybe right. they're just inquisitive of the noise and, like, you know, the ruckus going on, and they come to take a look. Or maybe yeah. they're a little PO'd. <laughs> you know? Maybe they're going to throw a few things at them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah, they're going to sabotage the <laughs> logging equipment at night. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, 
they have to have some type of intelligence uh, to make their way around. I mean, they're definitely different. You know my opinion. I don't think these are humanoid at all. But, uh, you know, to say an animal does not have any intelligence uh, is kind of uh, ridiculous, in my opinion. You know, uh, whether you want to call it instinct or uh, God-given abilities to survive, uh, they have to know what they're doing a little bit. Well, I mean, having lived with... uh you know, Labrador retrievers for for my whole adult <laughs> life, and they're not known as the most intelligent animal. Um, but boy, they definitely, it's more than instincts, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mine remember, opens up cabinets and closets and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, they uh, they have capabilities, you know. I mean, uh, whatever you want to call it, we can't, I know cl- science likes to think they got everything figured out. But uh, until you can climb inside their mind and see through their eyes, I, I don't. I don't know how anybody can say, "Well, this is what they can do, and this is all they can do." Exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, the Bigfoot's the same way to me. I mean, we have reports of them opening ice boxes, uh, trying to turn doorknobs. I mean, why not? If you had that immense power, which they do, why not just bash the door in? Why are you trying the doorknob? Right, right. Or yeah. like uh, the podcast, I think it was last week, you were talking about the account where they were uh, catching the beavers in uh, the beaver dam rather than just destroying the dam. Exactly. I mean, that thing could have ransacked that pile of logs in a matter of minutes and scattered everything in just a frenzy trying to catch one if that's all it was capable of thinking about. But it showed some foresight that... If you believe it, maybe I should save this structure as a future place to get something. Yeah. Yeah, so, I I mean, you're right. That was a good call on your part, bringing that up, because that's exactly what I'm talking about. Super cool. All right, so I really like this one. This one uh, occurred in 1942, and it comes from the Bigfoot Encounters website, and it tells of uh, two sisters' childhood experience on Medi, Medi Bemps Lake. I guess it's a lake up in Maine, where their family would go to fish for smallmouth bass. You're going to like this one, Bill. The girls would fish from a rocky island until one night a howling described by them as melodious singing from someone with a husky voice echoed across the lake. The girls were later confronted by a pair of hair-covered giants who actually took their fish. How do you like that? It's fantastic. And this this melodious uh, walking, it's kind of like, I'm singing <laughs> in the rain. <laughs> Two Bigfoots walking along with umbrellas uh, singing show <laughs> tunes. What the heck is going on here? <laughs> Well, it was wartime, you know, 1942. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe they were glad because all the GIs were out of the woods. Ay, ay, ay. You know, it's interesting, though, these bizarre accounts. Oh, you know something? I have to bring this up. Uh, I don't know if the listeners have been catching any of the show Ex- uh, Expedition Bigfoot. Have you caught any of that, Kevin? I haven't yet. I'm I'm looking for it, though. Well, I'm telling you. 
uh, they're out in Oregon, and I'm not going to bore all the people with all the details. They can watch some of these episodes for themselves. Very professionally done. But one of the things they came across uh, was a a uh, nest. Uh, they're calling it a nest that is virtually identical to the one you put the clip up on at Marble Mountain. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I am telling you, they, they did an interview with the young man who is probably now 35 years old uh, that was in that Marble Mountain thing pointing up on the ridge saying, it's up there on the ridge walking right now. Oh, one of the students at that point in time, right? Yes, That was yes. on the trip. Yeah, now I didn't know this. Uh, this was a church function. Yep, church group. Yes, they were out, you know, taking the boys out and, you know, uh, getting them out camping together and doing a little praying or whatever else they were doing when they ran across this. Now, the the interesting thing was that this uh, nest that they uncovered in this expedition Bigfoot this thing was like a day or two old. I mean, the boughs were fresh. Uh, it looked like they just dragged a Christmas tree from uh, some corner lot to set it up in their house. That's how <laughs> fresh and green these boughs were. I love that original account, too, by the way. That video footage is some of the best, I think, of any ever taken. Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. And uh, I highly recommend that people... Uh, on my end, it's on the History Channel, uh, okay. and I uh, recorded, like, I think there was like six episodes, uh, and uh, I, so I don't know where anybody else gets it or what kind of service you have, but I'm, from, my, from my perspective, it's on the History Channel. They had 21 days where they decided, based on a group of sightings from different people, collected group of sightings, that Bigfoot were being seen in a very uh, tight area in Oregon over a three-week period. For whatever reason, they didn't know, but everybody had said, you know, well, I saw it in June 2nd, and I saw mine on June 11th, and I saw mine July 2nd, you know. So they decided to do the recording based on 21 days in the period that all of these people had had their sightings. And I'm telling you, it is an eye-opener. Hmm. All right. Well, yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, really interesting. All right. Well, we for the next sighting, kind of uh, tying on to what you're saying a little bit, Bill, where you have these, you know, it seems like in a lot of these cases, we have these spikes of sightings. And um, in 1973, what they called at the time the Durham Gorilla Sightings began. Mm. And uh, Durham is a city kind of in the southern third of uh, Maine, which is interesting because that's kind of the most populated part. Um, and they started seeing these, what they called the Durham Gorilla Sightings, in late July to mid-August in 1973. So a lot of people saw them. And... Um, and one of them was uh, a group of kids that were biking uh, down a road called the Shiloh Road in Durham. And they encountered a creature very, clo very close up that they described as resembling a chimpanzee. Wow. So kind of strange, you know? Yeah. Now, chimpanzee is obviously on the smaller side. 
Yeah, they didn't put a scale to it. So, unfortunately, I don't know if they meant like it looked like one or it was, you know. Right, right. You know. Well, the chimpanzee, when I think of a chimpanzee, I think of a cheetah from the old Tarzan movie. (laughs) (laughs) A little friendlier than the average Bigfoot. Yeah, you know, but I mean, mostly skin skin showing on the face and the head. Yep. uh, Hair on the sides, that big, broad smile, the flat nose, you know. Yep. Uh, And this really, if you think about it, this is what many of the uh, descriptions are of a Bigfoot. A sparse hair or a hair-covered body, skin shown through the hair. Uh, Some speak about hair coming in from the uh, sides of the face onto the cheeks. Uh, Scraggly beard. Uh, You know, I mean, uh, the the descriptions aren't that far away from each other, uh, you know, as we move along. No, no, they're not. And and this one, so we go from 1980, I'm um, sorry, from 1973 um, to, to uh, 1984. And uh, another group, this one in, in uh, um, Sullivan, Maine, a man reported encountering a seven to eight foot tall creature, dark brown in color, in full view, only 50 feet away. And the witness estimated the creature weighed between 400 and 500 pounds. Wow. So that's the more traditional, you know, we would say. Yeah, and 50 50 feet, man. That's close range. Pretty close by. Yeah, you're not not imagining a dancing bear at 50 feet. (laughs) There's There's no doubt about it, you know. No, no. You know, you're not saying, hey, that's Harry's wife. Yeah, and I don't know if you've come across <laughs> this next one um, is a uh, occurred in 2006, so more recently, and the gentleman's name is Michael Merchant, uh, and it says also known as Snow Walker Prime. Um, I I haven't heard of him, haven't come across him, but he said said in the writing that it's a Maine-based Bigfoot researcher who has conducted a series of interviews with Bigfoot witnesses. Have you heard of him? Michael no, Merchant? What, Mike Merchant? Yeah, or Snow Walker Prime, I guess, is kind of his go-by. <laughs> his handle. No, I, I haven't heard of him, but there's so many people out there at this point in time that... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we may need a handle, Bill, now that I see he's Snow Walker Prime. Yeah, what's our <laughs> handle going to be? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Here, here's my handle. Too hot to touch. <laughs> ah! There. But in one of these interviews, Michael Merchant did, um, he talked to an Ellsworth couple who related traveling south on 1A, which 1A is the main road there that goes down the coast. No pun intended, main road, get it? Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So they were traveling south on an October evening, and they suddenly glimpsed on the left-hand side of the road a figure standing on two legs, that moved into the road in front of them. It was also backlit by a streetlight, so, you know, pretty populated place on 1A. And the couple saw that it was tall, thin, and had very long arms. And in a fluid motion, the thing lurched forward, putting its hands on the ground and bounded across the road on all fours after they saw it standing up on its hind legs. And uh, when almost across the road fully, it was joined by an identical smaller creature 
following and with very similar movements. And uh, they said uh, in their account that it had very fluid, very powerful uh, movement, you know, unlike anything they'd seen before. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard people talk about these creatures like running upright, uh, chasing after an elk or a deer full tilt. So I don't know what it is with them dropping to all fours. Is it a comfort thing? Uh, I, I really don't know. Is it a more stealthy way of running? Uh, but, you know, you can't get much faster than being able to run down an elk or a deer that's in full tilt. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that is a fast run, man, in anybody's book. No doubt about it. But a lot of people talk about seeing them drop to all fours and start tearing out. Now, maybe, who knows? Let's just say they can run, I don't know, 25 miles an hour upright. Maybe they could do 30 on all fours. You know, I, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very bizarre thing. You we know? just don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, so then then we're going to transition to some uh, modern day, you know, more modern day accounts with an article that was on uh, – Fox 22 News um, on August 14th, 2019, so wow. less than a year ago. Yeah. And this is also, the article comes from Durham, Maine. So remember I mentioned that it's a bit yeah. of a hotbed of sightings through time. Absolutely. And this is an interview with uh, a gentleman by the name of Dennis Frazier, who lives there in Durham. And he says, it's interesting, he says, people don't say anything. They don't want people to think they're a screwball, but I don't care. Uh, he said while he was standing in his driveway. Like I said, I'm going to be 80 in another week. If they don't want to believe me, I don't care. I know what I saw. It was standing right in front of me. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and he said that he had this encounter two years ago in his driveway um, on October 4th, 2017, and it was about quarter to six in the morning, so early in the morning. He said he backed the car up and uh, um, was going going right out of the driveway, and when he got to the top of the hill, he said, I see this black thing. He slammed on the brakes. He almost hit it. And he says, it's interesting how he describes it. He says, this thing wasn't much more than six feet tall, but appeared absolutely humongous. Wow. And he estimated that it weighed between 350 and 400 pounds. Wow. So get this. He says it was completely coal black with long black fur. The face was white. And uh, he said he couldn't see any protrusion of the face, just huge oblong eyes like it was either surprised or scared to death. And he says, I don't know which. And then it turned around and walked upright right into the woods. Wow. Yeah. And he, no. said, I, he said, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. He said it was right there at the end of my hood, six, six feet away from me, staring right at me. Wow, that's crazy. And I would think August in Maine, six fifteen in the morning. It's it's daylight. It's got to be light. Yeah, they, yeah I don't so, think they get much darkness up there in the summertime. Yeah, so it's uh you know another daylight, albeit early in the morning. It's another daylight sighting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, when I stand my ground at a lot of these sightings, in spite of these people 
hunting around uh, in the nighttime, uh, a lot of sightings occur during daylight hours. Yep, yep. You know, here's a guy, he takes a stand like me. I don't care what you think. You know, and I'm not trying to be rude, but what I am trying to do is drive home a point that I know what I saw, and I saw it, irregardless of what you have to say about it. Right. And that's what this old guy, he's going to turn 80 or whatever, he's like, hey, look, at my age, what do I care what you think? Well, that's this next account here, and... uh uh, some comment on a, a, a cryptozoology professional, cryptologist, uh, have, you're going to find really interesting. And I, I thought it was really interesting, so I'm bringing it forward here. Okay. So this other gentleman, his name is John Bear Mitchell, who's a Penobscot Indian and University of Maine professor. So he's a native Native American, and he's also a, a professor at the University of Maine. He says, I never expected it. I never wanted it, never thought it would ever happen, but it happened to me. He said, I just happened to be in a place where this animal, this creature, was at the same time. We bumped into each other, and once we noticed each other, we both went our separate ways. He said, a lot of people who have heard this story think I'm crazy. And then he goes on. I think this is really interesting. He says, no matter how much education, no matter what you do for a living, when you see something and you know you saw something and you tell that to somebody and they look at you and they say, yeah, that's not true. They don't exist. You're never going to convince that person that they do exist, Mitchell said. Hmm. So pretty, pretty interesting right here. This guy is a professor. He runs into the hairy man, tells people about it. And then he's commenting on the fact that no one believes him. And then this, this American uh, cryptozoologist, Lauren Coleman, he says, that's what he calls the ridicule curtain. Mm -hmm. And he says the ridicule curtain really extends down around a report so that the eyewitness often feels very isolated and oftentimes is made fun of. Yeah. And he goes on. He says people lose their partners. They may lose their job. They actually lose their sense of reality when they have one of these extraordinary experiences because they're ordinary people. Yeah. You know, even in my own employment, uh, a, a lot of the people that I work with know what we do and what I do with the writing in the books. Uh, and they're just a sarcastic bunch of SOBs. Uh, there's a couple of them that do have some interest, but even those usually talk to me privately. Yeah. Uh, they're not really outspoken in the group, but they're interested, so they talk to me like on the side. Right. Uh, but they're not uh, really opening up a loud conversation in the group uh, about uh, Bigfoot and a Q&A uh, revolving around the existence of Bigfoot. Yeah, it's reasonable. You know, they they don't they don't want people to think they're crazy. And you can imagine if you actually saw one of these, Bill, you know, you and I have never seen one. Right, right. You know, so it's hard to predict how you feel. I think it was one of our first podcasts together. You said to me, what would you do if you saw one? Who would you tell? Yeah. You know, which is a pretty interesting question. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, personally, I'd tell a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And that's just the way I am. You know, yeah. uh, I would tell a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of people would be talking about me behind my back after the fact, but I don't care. Yeah. 
So I'm I'm very much like the 80 year old guy up there in uh, Maine saying, "Hey, look, I saw it. What do I care? What do you think?" <laughs> you know, another thing too about these people that are Native American, a lot of them aren't brought up uh, uh, in the culture, so to speak. They know their uh, Cherokee, they know their uh, Iroquois, whatever it may be. Uh, but I find that a lot of people, as they age, uh, embrace their roots a little more. Oh, sure. And uh, I, my feeling is such, I have no proof of this, it's just uh, a hunch, that a lot of these people of uh, uh, Native American heritage uh, embrace a little bit more of what their ancestors may have taught or done as they age, mm-hmm. uh, which may be inclusive of uh believing uh in things like a bigfoot the value of nature uh observing you know taking care of your surroundings a lot of things that are inherently good right i mean they're not bad things no absolutely not no it's so, good i mean usually they're closer to the land than you know the typical folks that are you know not native americans right they're they're told of all of the history of the land, the legend of the land, the folklore, right. and, you know, taking care of the land. So, you know, actually, so I think we'll wrap up this this uh, uh, section of Cryptids in the News by talking about some of the other uh, stories that the Native Americans in Maine, the Penobscot tribe, um, they told stories of a cannibalistic giant called Kawakwa, uh, which is pretty interesting. So you'll see, I'll struggle with these names, but there's a few different uh, monsters, kind of Bigfoot-like creatures that they talk about. The other one um, uh, called the Apatamkin belongs to the Passamaquoddy tribe. And what's called, uh, a tribe called the Micmac had legends of Chenu or Genu. And uh, this is pretty interesting. The Chenu of Micmac legends were a tribe of powerful giants that favored colder climates. Um, And the legend has that their piercing shriek alone could be fatal. So. so there you go uh, with the the sound weapon again. Exactly. We see you that know, come up. Debilitating uh, infrasound or even the loudness of the initial shriek stunning uh, their prey or the, the people that come in contact with them. Yeah, maybe the minute would be fatal because it would give you a heart attack. <laughs> Could be. I mean, <laughs> Kind of like those... Those recordings that we uh, featured a few weeks back, you know, when oh. they were in the distance, they were just absolutely frightening. Kev, think about that. I know you've thought about it, but that recording, whatever distance it was recorded from the actual creature, plant yourself 20 feet away from that thing when it opened up. Oh, yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, that would just knock you down. No doubt about it. I mean, my God, it was like a locomotive, and you turn your head, and it's bearing down on you, you know? No doubt about it, yep. Jeez. Yeehaw. Now, these, uh, all these Indian tribes that you were just talking about with their own name uh, for the giant creature, these are all northeastern tribes? I'm guessing. You know, these appeared in uh, in the research about Maine. 
Yeah, so, and I mean, there were tons of Indians uh, around at that point in time, you know? No doubt about it, yeah. Wow, that is crazy. So, so pretty look, pretty cool stuff going on in Maine. I think we'll definitely do more on Maine, but we hadn't talked about it yet and uh, just wanted to touch on it. Yeah, no, there's a lot of activity up there, and uh, I've had numerous accounts uh, I can't keep track of what we've gone over already, but uh, there's so much material out there that uh, it's just ridiculous to kind of itemize it. You know, I'm certainly not going to because let somebody else do it, you know? Yep, no doubt about it. Everybody's got their shoes to fill in regards to Bigfoot. You know, we do what we do and uh, let somebody else carry the baton in another race, you know? Yep, no doubt well, about it. Fantastic. All right, so I got something pretty cool here. Uh, this, again, is uh, a lot of accounts evidential, uh, evidentiary. People don't see a Bigfoot, but they find stuff that certainly leads you to believe that something is out there. Uh, and the question is, what is it? And this is one of those accounts. Uh, it was told to me by a woman named Debbie Reyes, a resident of Anchorage, Alaska who came across something very interesting while snowshoeing with her girlfriend, Louisa, uh, in the outskirts of Mount McKinley National Park. And this is what the girl saw. She said, as I told you, William, my girlfriend, Louisa, and I had ventured into Mount McKinley National Park in the winter of 2013 to do a little snowshoeing. It was mid-January, and there was a nice layer of fresh snow that had fallen. Our plan for the day was to follow the Foraker River up to Lake Minichumina, or as far as we felt we could go and return back before sundown. For the uninitiated among your, your readers, or in this case our lis- listeners, Louisa and I are both avid runners and hikers, but the rigors of snowshoeing long distances can take even the best hikers and runners by surprise. We were about four miles into our trek following the shoreline of the Foraker River, and we were wondering if we hadn't bit off more than either of us could chew, so to speak. So she's wondering, like, can we make it back with this snowshoe? Yeah, I can't imagine. So then she goes on to say that the muscle groups being recruited to perform the task of snowshoeing are incredible, and we were feeling it big time. It was after about the fifth mile that we decided to turn around and head back. It was then that Louisa recommended that we do so by walking more through the timber this time, for up until this point we had been following the river's edge. The temperature that day was in the mid-twenties, and the snow cover blanketing the forest was pristine and untouched. We were about two miles into the return trip through the timber, and I was taking the lead, When I saw up ahead of us what was a dead tree trunk laying on the ground that appeared as though a gigantic firework of some kind had exploded within it, scattering the pieces all over the fresh white snow. Now, I've heard this same account probably three times, I want to say, of a downed tree appearing like it was blown apart. Right. There were splinters and wood chips thrown in every direction for some 50 feet around the trunk. 
Although it was still 100 feet or more away from us, it stood out like a sore thumb. As we approached this tree to investigate, we were immediately confronted with the fact that there were massive bare footprints surrounding the dead tree on all sides. And there were two sets of prints, one being larger than the other, both coming to and going away from the tree. <coughs> Excuse us. The two of us released ourselves from our shoes so we could walk more freely around the tree. And having released myself from the bindings of my snowshoes, I placed one of them next to the larger of the two prints, and the print was almost as large as the foreend of my snowshoe, that being well over 20 inches in length and some 10 inches or more in width. Well, There was no doubt that whatever these creatures were had to come here, had to have come here and torn apart this dead tree for what must have been whatever insects may be held up inside of it for the winter. It was completely torn apart with just a shell uh, of what it once was being left on the ground. The prints were those of large bare feet with fat, stubby toes, the greater toe pointing inward at a most unusual angle as compared to our own. Louisa was the first to say that these were the tracks of a Bigfoot and that she was afraid to remain there. The tracks coming into the scene, as well as those that were leading away, were made in a straight line. In other words, one foot was placed directly in front of the other as they walked. It was more than three ski poles distance between one of the print sets and not quite two between the steps on the other set. I would also estimate between six and nine feet as being the two stride lengths. The photo that I sent you was that of my snowshoe next to the larger print, taken with my phone's camera. I laugh now at the thought of who needs snowshoes when you have feet that big. (laughs) I thought it was kind of comical, you know. It is. uh, In the end, like she said, who needs snowshoes when you got feet like a... A freaking uh, uh, a kitchen rug. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. I mean, I had that woman, uh, the account of that woman up in Canada. Uh, she lived in like a chalet, as she described it, up against a huge wilderness tract. And she used to go out jogging seasonally and snow skiing seasonally in the same area of woods. Right. And she came across a tree blown apart just like this. That's wild, right? Yeah. I mean, and, you know, when you've got pristine snow in the middle of nowhere, come on, people. Who, who's out there? And this was in Anchorage, you said, or outside Anchorage? She was in, uh, she described a parkland area. Yeah, McKin- uh, McKinley. Mount McKinley National Park. Yeah, so Park. not Anchorage, but up in Alaska. Okay. Right. The, the outskirts of that. Yeah. Yeah, good good ways out. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, is it baloney? Well, I mean, it's really up to you. Because the people come forward, they say what they have to say, and then it's up for us to pass judgment on it, you know? Yeah, well, it's certainly pretty rural out there at Mount McKinley, and, uh, um, and 
seems like they were pretty far out, you know, snowshoeing, so definitely in a rural place, lots of creatures around. And what's interesting, though, in all the snow up there, you would think like the bear would be sleeping, so it shouldn't be a bear. Yeah, well, I, I don't know, Kev, do bear, she's talking about one of the prints being 20 inches long and 10 inches long. Oh, wide. no, I'm saying that could, you know, it's not, it's too big, but you never know if it got distorted or something like that. Yeah. But I'm saying there wouldn't even be bear out, you know, they'd be hibernating. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. And and once again, we're falling back on the same old shtick. Who would go out there and do this uh, in the hope that somebody was going to come by and see it? Oh, yeah. I agree. I mean, what a glorious waste of time. Not in, uh, not out in Alaska, especially. Right. And you don't know what's going on over there. Two days after you did it, if it was a hoax, it could be buried in the snow. Yeah, no one would see it. Like, likely no one would ever see it anyway. Absolutely. So I yeah. just, I find all of these very interesting. You know, just the fact that people are sticking their neck out a little bit and saying, this is what I saw and this is how I saw it. It is what it is. And you could say that about anything we're speaking about, the the brief encounters in Maine. And by the way, all of those encounters in Maine uh, were what I call like circumstantial. They happen so quickly and so unexpectedly. Uh, they're not grandiose. There's no craziness going on. Uh Nothing being found, just a quick how do you do, and I'm in and out of your life in a matter of seconds. Yeah. You know, it's not a big to-do. It's not a big deal. Uh, it doesn't involve a lot of people in <clears throat> long periods of time. It's just boom, boom, boom. Wow. So, you know, what do you, what do you to say about that, you know? Hmm. It's a good rural sighting in a very rural place. Yeah, I like I like the evidential findings. I mean, who doesn't like to hear about what was seen as far as a creature? But to me, the evidential findings are very unique uh, in that nobody's saying I saw anything uh, in regards to a creature. But this, I can tell you, this is what I did see. Yeah, they have some questions about the evidence, right, which raises their concern as to what was this that I actually saw. I yeah. still like the actual sighting stuff, you know, like that Whitehall sighting in upstate New York where the policeman saw him. I, I, that's one of my favorite. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, it's so bizarre. That concept of, you know, like he said it best where he said, I'm looking at something right in front of me as plain as day, that um, I was told my whole life didn't exist. But right. yet it's right there. And there it is. I love those sightings. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, I just, I'm telling you right now, everybody likes to think they got brass, you know what. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think anybody knows how they're going to react until that situation actually happens. Mm-hmm. Good you know. stuff. You know, like even these people I'm watching on this latest rendition, Expedition Bigfoot. Uh, so one guy breaks off by himself. Two others are working together. So he's like, well, I'm hiking solo. But no, you're not. There's a camera crew with you. <laughs> yeah. You know, and who knows what the uh, camera crew's packing. You know, they probably got a couple of riot guns with them. Oh, yeah. 
you know, hey, do what you want, Mac. I'm coming loaded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know, man. You know, I don't see too many people hiking out there solo uh, other than Les Straub when he used to do uh, his individual hunts with his little... Uh, no, I, I mean, I told you, Bill, when we were up in Alaska this summer, we didn't go anywhere. And in some of the places, they wouldn't let us go anywhere. One, unless we're with a guide... You know, because the guides really, they they know on a daily basis what exactly is going on with the creatures of the forest as best as any human can. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're armed and uh, very well trained to protect you. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, And anyway. I, had a, I had an account uh, from Canada where the guy said, uh, this went back into the 50s or the 60s. Uh, they said they were required to have a guide. Now, I don't know if that's still the same in uh, Canada, where you need a guide if you're going out in certain locations. I'm, I'm sure in certain locations. You know, yeah. I don't know for sure, but I would think it's reasonable. Any yeah. place that's dangerous, you know, either they close the trail or they let you out there only with, you know, the local guide. Yeah. Well, I'd certainly want a guide. You know, if I was going somewhere I was really unfamiliar with in foreign territory. Yeah. I mean, uh, first And they of all, also keep you calm. You know what I mean? Even if you never really know if they're frightened or not, part of their job is if you get into a dangerous situation to keep things calm, you know, and ideally so the animals don't sense your fear, you know, and maybe, no, and that, maybe there's a better outcome because of that. Yeah, and uh, I was listening to somebody uh, talking around a tiger's cage, uh, and the tiger came out and was like, you know, with that low growl. Oh, yeah. And he said that the tiger can sense when your heartbeat is elevating. There you go. And they get, they start growling, sensing your nervousness. Yeah. So that's a really bizarre thing, you know, that the animal can sense your fear. Well, they're killing machines, right? Yeah, freaking unbelievable. When you're an apex predator, you know, close to the top or at the top of the food chain, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. You have some good senses. Yeah, I mean, we've all been given certain things by God, and they've been given their share, too. (laughs) Wow, that's fantastic. So what have we got lined up for uh, listening mail today? Uh, We got some good mail today. Do you have a croissant in front of you, Bill? Ah, croissant. I could go for a buttered croissant right now. <laughs> well, look, we, we have a, a, a letter coming in from Pierre in France. Viva la France. Wow. He says, I love your podcast. And he says, I had a sighting in northern Italy when hiking some 25 years ago in the foothills. It was a large, hairy, man-like creature, very much like what you speak of on the podcast. Wow. Very few people have heard my story for fear of ridicule, but it was as real as you and I. Keep up the good work, Pierre. Wow. And then he says, ha, ha, ha. Okay, he didn't say that part. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he didn't say that part. (laughs) 
You know, oh, that's incredible. You know, yeah, pretty cool. I mean, here's another example of someone that had seen something 25 years ago. In this case, in Italy, northern Italy, and you know, he he hears us, he lists the podcast, hears of all the different accounts, gets interested in it, and then comes forward to talk about it. Yeah, we've had a couple of people talking about the. That's the Alpine region, right, northern Italy. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, where did they find that ice man a number of years ago? Wasn't it that in that region? Hmm. I'm not yeah, sure. I don't know. Remember, they found that hunter, yeah. and they determined when they checked him out that he was shot in the back with an arrow. Yeah, I don't know if he was in like the Himalayas or what. I'll check that out or in the yeah. Alps. I don't yeah. know. It's just interesting. You know, there's stuff going on all over the planet that we don't hear anything about. Yeah. And uh, here comes Pierre popping out of France. Of all the places, I mean, the the length and breadth of the people listening in is just ridiculous. Right. And what's also interesting, too, you know, he talks about the fear of ridicule, you know, which we talked about in the cryptids in the news section. Remember where that cryptozoologist talked about, I think he called it the ridicule curtain or curtain of ridicule. Yeah. Where people are afraid of that. And here, here Pierre is talking exactly about that. Yeah. And if a couple of people get rubbed the wrong way by that ridicule, you might just clam up for the rest of your life. Heck, yeah. yeah you just know. say, it's, it's not worth it. No, no. You know, just keep it to yourself. Yeah, good wow. stuff. Yeah, thanks, Pierre, for uh, writing in and chiming in with us. <laughs> wow, that's crazy, Kevin. Yeah, vive la France. Yeah, vive la France. All right, we're going to stay in that region. We're going to go a little bit east to the Alps, and we hear from Ingrid in Switzerland. Wow. Oh, you're going to like this one, Bill. She says, I stumbled on your podcast, and I'm now all caught up. I guess she did some binge listening. Wow. Fantastic. But shockingly, she says, Bill, you are very funny and quite handsome. Oh, (laughs) obviously she sees well. (laughs) Good stuff. Either that or she can't see at all. It depends who you talk to. She didn't say she was 104. (laughs) No mention of age. But she said that she was in the Alps hiking, I'm sure, or skiing. And she said that she has seen a track line much like those photographed by Sir Edmund Hillary in a straight line and going out as far as the eye could see. To me, there is most certainly a Yeti or a Bonneville snowman, but where it is is beyond my knowing. And then she recovers a little bit in my eyes because she says, love you both, Ingrid. Ah, <laughs> Nicely done, Ingrid. Nicely done. Now, was it uh, was it Edmund Hillary that uh, took that first snapshot of that row of inline tracks? Many yeah, he ago? saw. You know, you, you, you have the famous one with the pickaxe next to it when he was summoning Everest. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, really interesting. So here's a, a later version. Of a similar sighting. And who knows, Kev, there might be 150 or 1,000 people out there that have had a sighting like this. We don't know them, and we haven't heard from them. Yep. I mean, here she's, Ingrid's just catching up, binge listening to our podcast. So 
Wow, Hopefully, uh, she'll tell some of her uh, friends from Switzerland, and maybe they had similar sightings. We'll hear from them. Yeah, that is a crazy thing, you know, and what are you going to say? You know, I mean, uh, again, she didn't say she saw a creature, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I've heard people <laughs> say that certain species of bear can walk in line, uh, but what's a bear doing walking around up in the snow up there? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. You know, it's just a mysterious thing. I mean, they do, you know, some of the research into Yeti said, uh, you know, they found some DNA of these um, uh, other species of bear, you know, that they thought were extinct that used to live in the highlands. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. You know, it's very interesting. It's it's. It's it makes the mind wander and dream a little bit as to you know what's out there or what potentially may be out there. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. Okay. All right, we're coming back stateside for the next one, and this is from Edwin in Oregon. So you were talking about Oregon. Oh, and look at this. He says I am a Bigfooter in Oregon, hmm. and one of my sightings is on the record and now being used in the show Expedition Bigfoot. If you've seen it, wow! There you go. I haven't seen it, but Bill has seen it. So I guess he's saying because I've seen them. They they didn't mention anybody. He must be saying that one of the dots on the map was his report. Oh, could be. Or you just maybe uh, maybe you're going to see Edwin on one of these episodes. You never know, and you just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, maybe Edwin is a Bigfoot. Ooh, that types and sends email. <laughs> <laughs> so Edwin says, I've been practicing what is known as gifting. I once placed an apple and a pear on a downed tree in an area where I, where I have found tracks. Upon returning, the fruit was gone, and in its place was an animal bone and a feather stuck in a crack. These creatures are real. Fantastic podcast. Edwin. Yeah, you know, uh, I think this is a first uh, where we had somebody talk about gifting. But uh, there are quite a few people out there who believe this to be true. Uh, And in fact, in the show Expedition Bigfoot, there is a guy in there who believes he was gifted. Uh, So it's interesting, the uh, synchronicity between the... uh, uh, the sides going back and forth here. One mentions something that already happened. You know, in other words, this is an ongoing thing. It's not. It hasn't ended with Edwin, and it didn't begin with so and so. It's ongoing. This right. idea of people exchanging gifts with what they believe. <laughs> To be a Sasquatch. I've heard about this before, um, but I got to tell you, Bill, I'm skeptical of this. This is like the Christmas card list of uh, <laughs> Squatch. You know, okay, I so yeah, <laughs> uh, call me the skeptic on this one. But oh yeah, well, look, God, yeah. I don't know. But again, well, you know, I'd be skeptical of somebody seeing it in front of the hood of their car. But yet it happens. So. Yeah, I leave you a pair of construction boots, and you flip me a hundred dollar <laughs> bill on the stump. <laughs> then do they have like Bigfoot regifting? Like you get a gift, you didn't like it, so you give it to a Bigfoot and see what they give you? <laughs> hey, there's no diners around here. Keep your stinking gift card. Hey, this looks like I was regifted. That's what Bigfoot's saying. <laughs> 
Yeah, all right. Well, we fun. are all going to have to check out this show. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Uh, it's really awesome. And I wouldn't shoot my mouth off about it if I didn't think so. Uh, I think they're doing a superb job, these people. Uh, and I hope they keep the ball going with it because it's uh, one of the better uh, uh, things that I've seen. And, you know, there haven't been too many, so... Uh, but yeah, I really, I've been I've been traveling so much. I got to do a search for it after we get done recording and start uh, tracking down a couple of these episodes. Yeah, it's just interesting, you know. And they're doing a the yeoman's work, which I can always appreciate. Right. Look, I don't shoot anybody down for trying. You know, you got to be an imbecile. Anybody could stand in the background and say, ah, you know, it's all a farce. It's all this and that. Yeah, well, good for you. Right. You know, I look at these people like they are really putting it out. Uh, they're doing a great job with what we have, and uh, I give them a lot of credit. No, I agree 100%. You know? Wow. Cool, man. All right. Our last email comes in from Grace Ann in Japan. So uh, from Oregon, we go all the way across the Pacific to Japan. Wow. And Grace Ann says, this is a great show, and I wish you much success. I've purchased several of your books and enjoy them very much. Many people do not realize how much wilderness there is in Japan. But yet, as far as I know, there is no Bigfoot creature here. Thank you so much, Grace Ann. Pretty cool. I don't know, Bill, have you heard of any Bigfoot in Japan? I haven't. No, not at all, but... uh... You know, it's just interesting that somebody takes the time. People, you know, my brother and I would love to hear from all of you. Bigfoot Terror in the Woods dot com. Hit the contact button. Just say hello. Grace Ann is not purporting to have seen a Bigfoot, a Yeti or anything. She's just saying, hey, guys, appreciate what you're doing. Haven't heard anything, but uh, love your show. I mean, yeah, <clears throat> it's all good stuff. You know, Kev? Yeah, I did put it on the list, too, Grace Ann, to start doing a little bit of research, see if I can come up with anything in Japan. I've been to Japan a bunch of times, actually, and it's a beautiful country, one of my favorites. Um, and you are right, of course, a lot of wilderness. You know, people think of it as only these big cities, but it's a very large place, first of all. And, um, you know, a lot of wilderness and a lot of beauty there as well. Yeah, maybe we could dig up something, Kev. You know, see, societally, we're kind of disconnected from those people. You know what I mean? We, yeah, in we, some ways, some yeah, ways. You know, I mean, me personally, I don't know much about uh, Japan other than I like Toyotas. <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, there's a little uh, bit more to the culture than your Toyota that's probably made in Tennessee yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you know what I mean? There's a disconnect. And uh, what I'm getting at is I wonder if there's not something going on for our other oddities segment. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely to, check it out. Yeah, Japan and their culture, you know? Yeah. Wow, I mean, that's I, great. I love it over there. I don't get to go enough, but whenever I go, I really enjoy it. Um, yeah. And do you eat with chopsticks? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I eat with <laughs> chopsticks. And, of course, I, I love sushi, so Japan is the home of sushi. <laughs> so All right. It's a good good place. 
Alrighty. Well, Bill, that's our last note tonight. So thank you, everyone, uh, for writing in, continuing to write in. We love to hear from you, as Bill said. And thank you also for all the great reviews you've been uh, leaving on your favorite podcast player. Yeah, really uh, awesome to have you all listening in, and it's greatly appreciated uh, to have you on board as listeners. Don't think we regret it for one uh, uh, for one minute. No. And remember, folks, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>